0: Remember the first time you saw a race car on an open trailer? Maybe it was full of dirt, tire marks, and other battle scars. You wondered where it had been, and more importantly, where it was going next. Every open trailer has a story, and we're here to tell it. Welcome to the Open Trailer Podcast. It's another edition of Open Trailer Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Austin, and over the next few installments, we'll take the biggest left turn that the podcast has probably taken, which is an ironic way to say that the guy we'll feature is primarily known for driving straight. Now, we've covered racing from all over the state of Maine, but primarily circle track. That's generally what racers in Maine are known for. However, there's an incredible drag racing community, and one of the top guys of all time is the instigator Lomer Pelletier. And there are many reasons why Lomer has come to the podcast today. Number 1, he is a main motorsports Hall of Famer. Number 2, he has an incredible story. Where he came from, how he built his business, and the values that he lives by today is I mean, get ready for a if you love history, not just racing history, but history in general, I think you're really going to appreciate the next two episodes. And frankly, I think you might find some inspiration here. If you've ever wondered if you're enough, if betting on yourself is the right thing to do despite the obstacles, Lomer Pelletier has pretty incredible insight based on experience that you're going to want to hear about. We'll get to that, the story of the Maine Turnpike coming up the state of Maine, and how a man who had six kids by his early 20s turned into one of the most successful drag racers in the state of Maine. This podcast is a pleasure, and it's thanks to your support. Number one, this is a product of Maine Vintage Race Car Association. Subscribe to us at mainevintagerace.org. For less than $2 a month, you can help us preserve the history of racing in the state of Maine. Stories just like Lomers. This particular podcast is partially supported by your contributions. And thank you for donating to patreon.com slash open trailer podcast. Thanks to you, we just did a run of decals, which will be all over race cars in the state of Maine and beyond. And if you are a subscriber on Patreon, you will get an Open Trailer Podcast sticker. The rest of the money goes into funding the project, whether that's equipment, uh, funding for travel, and just generally putting this whole thing together. Again, patreoncom slash Podcast. Thank you for your support. Uh, all these stories to me are incredible for different reasons. If you have never even been to a drag race, does it matter? This story is full heat. Thanks to May Motorsport Hall of Famer and New England Auto Racing Hall of Famer Pete Silva for being such a crucial part of getting this to come together and also uh, just really contributing to this program. So let's get to it. Stage number one of Lomer Pelletier on Open Trailer Podcast. You know, this afternoon we are in your shop in Sydney. Sydney, Maine, yes. Lomer, how long you been here? I've been here 30 years. This this is quite the palace here. Can you explain to me what goes on in, in the, the Pelletier Automotive Shop? Well,
1: I own a car dealership in town, but this is my home. I, uh, I got done really working in town when I was 75, and I built this place here to retire and I do street rods, I do uh, classic cars, I build cars, I still build
0: motors, uh, rear ends and transmissions. So one thing that you left out is the fact that um, you you still win races, you still win matches. Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, 84 I won the last race that uh, that I raced in just to backtrack a little bit you're 84 years old I'm 85 now 85 and you're still winning yes that's amazing how, how has the game changed for you over the last you know let's just say, even say like 10 15 years well when I used to race when I was younger it was to to win
1: every time I went mm. and uh, now it's to have fun I if I win I'm lucky I uh, I guess I'm still pretty good at it. I, the tree is one of my best friends. They, we have a one light tree, and I guess I'm still still on the ball. But the people that I race with are just great. They're, we don't race and get ugly to each other. We help each other. So it, it's a lot more fun than it was back in the day when you had to win.
0: So you're 84 years old. You're sitting and you're at the tree, as you call it. What goes through your insides when, when it's counting down? I'm just as excited now as I was when I was 16. The
1: adrenaline is there, and you you want to win, and mm-hmm. when you do win, it's 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 a lot of fun.
0: Well, let's go back to that first win. Do you remember what that was like? <sighs> that was with a 48 Ford with a Pontiac
1: in it, and I was street. Ra- I used to street race a lot before I before I drag race, mm-hmm. but in '62 they built a drag strip at the uh, Nars Walk Airport. And I was a, one of the first ones that went down there. And I built that 48 Ford that I used to drive on the street and put an old Pontiac motor in it and a three-speed 57 Chevy motor and tra- rear in it, uh, transmission rear end it. And they used to
0: win with it, so. So when you're when, when you take off, how focused are you on the straight or are you looking to the side to your no competitor?
1: no you never look at the side you don't you look straight ahead you don't care what the other guy's doing that you gotta beat so how do you know when you win? there's a light on it at the end of the strip I race 8th miles Mm-hmm And when you get through the eyes nine times out of ten you can see the
0: white light come on which is the wind light how many times did you lose because really it's not like circle track racing where you can finish second and it's amazing Um, you know you finish second in drag racing and you just lost I mean how many times did you lose before you won I won pretty every week your first time yeah wow I was a pro at it because I raced on the street. Pete Silva is joining me with uh, today's podcast, and you guys go back so, so far. I mean, well, to your 60 dad. 60
2: years and probably 70 with my father. But How did you guys meet? Well, through, through my father, and as we got, I got older and went racing, help well, my, helped my, me like he helped my father and everybody else in the neighborhood, but I'd like to back up just for a second. This garage you were talking about we're setting in, this houses the two drag cars, mm-hmm. the two instigated Camaros. And the 4840 was talking about is the same car when we were teenagers. So that had to be in the 60s. The Loma would pick myself and some of the neighborhood kids up to take to the Norwich Walk when he was drag racing and winning races. I was probably 14 or 15, myself and David Prescott and Clarence McLean, which was really big for us, being young, to go with a guy that actually had the car that was going to race and win the races and then ride home with him. So that was hell that was 60 years ago
0: we were again we're talking small town maine and obviously your your career went where it went but talk about what that was like to have the star of the town show up and say hey get in we're going racing it was the biggest thing going i mean in that
2: era most people grew up as car people hot rodders and car people it was just part of the i guess you'd call it an american graffiti Hmm. atmosphere in those days and uh Nobody else was driving by, picking any kids up, taking them to the drag races. Lumber, why
1: did you do that? What drew you to that? I had seven kids. I knew what kids liked. They all had friends. Mm. And I never went to the drag race at Winterport Dragway without my seven kids. And they started when they was four and five years old, I'd drag them to the races. And back then, it was a different, different life. Back then, everybody had kids and they'd bring one or two and my kids would play with them. They had a place they could play while we were drag racing, and they got to know all the drivers. And hard to believe, but as much as I was winning, I was feared when I when I got there. But they treated my kids just
0: like their own. It was they were good. So good people. so no matter if you had beef with somebody on the racetrack, the kids were off limits. Their kids were off limits. That's awesome. Yeah. They got to know the best
1: drivers, the guys that I was beating. And, I mean, I didn't win every time, but I'd win 8 out of 10. Right. Yeah.
0: But drag, you know, you're a 2019 uh, class member of the Maine Motorsports Hall of Fame, first drag racer to go in. Um, We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But you're primarily known for, you know, for for drag racing. But that, you mentioned the street racing. But in between, uh, there was some circle track stuff, too. In 1951,
1: I had a 36 Chevy Coupe and my brother and his girlfriend, I wanted to go to Beech Ridge, I mean I wanted to go to Unity and my brother and his girlfriend rode up with me and we were sitting in the stands and the old man Knowles he called up, he said, anybody wants to street race their neighbors, come on in.
0: Wait a minute, let's back up for a second. What you, What did you just say? If they want to race their neighbors. Race their neighbors. What on they, the racetrack. track. Yep. Yeah, that's what, they, that's
1: what they did. So it's part of the show? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah.
0: oh yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. That was like the intermission time, and they put this on, spectators. Yeah. yeah. So, of course, at the time, I was only 15, and uh, I had this little 36 Chevy coupe. So I told my brother and his girlfriend I had to go take a whiz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... And you ended up on the race. Right? I ended up on the race. They're sitting, they're sitting in the seats. <laughs> There's my car! <laughs> they, they, you know, I can imagine what they thought because, you know, that was their ride home. So was it, there a PA announcer that mentioned your name and everything? No, they just said, you know, they just said these guys are racing each other and stuff. Yeah. But anyhow, they, they were. I think there was probably 15 of us, if I remember right. And I had to start on the rear for some reason or other, but anyhow, I won the race, so and drove the car home but when
0: I got home I had to put two front fenders on it yeah <laughs> well let's let's just back this up for a second I mean there are spectator drags where you just have one versus the other and that you know that that's something that most people have seen yeah. but there was a class during the intermission at Unity in the 50s where street cars yeah. people who were sitting in the stands could run and 15 of them were out there running yeah we didn't have any seat belts back then you know nothing none of that stuff
1: wow that you was know. actually popular in the 50s oh it was popular as a definitely you, you know you take the car
0: you drove in and you race it you know
1: hmm. yeah so
0: so what was that like when you get out of the race car uh, and you you know you heard the or felt the roar of the crowd you heard all of that was that a bit of a drug for you that was the worst thing that could happen to me <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> i went back in 1955 with a 48 ford coupe hmm. with the help of albert robinson i built them myself Uh, My car number was 99, and I won one race with it. Is there a significance to that 99? No, uh, it's just a number picked out, just put 99 on it. And I won one race with it, and like I say, Albert Robertson, I raced with all the big boys, but I'm not a good circle track racer. I was a straight ahead guy. But anyhow, I sold the car to a guy by the name of Buddy Wall. And he'd never drove a stock car before. And I think he won 13, 14 features with it, did Pete?
2: Yeah, he won a lot. And, and I think there's a great story you'd be interested in hearing on how that came about, the car and the motor in that car came about. Oh, I think man. you need to tell that yeah. story.
1: Well, my mother's my mother's relatives lived in Bowesville, Canada. And I used to take her up on one weekend, and I'd go pick her up at the end of the month. So I would made two trips a month to Canada. So one day I took her up there and just before we got to my aunt's house, they had a two and a half ton Ford truck that they were pulling the motor out. They had the motor on it with chain falls. And I looked at it and I said, oh God. So I turned around and I went back and I said, what are you guys doing? And they said, they're changing the motor. They're putting a seasonal bucks rebuilt in it. And I asked them what, what they're gonna do with the motor they're pulling out. They told me they had to trade it in for 50 bucks credit. And I said, well, I said, would you guys take $75 for it? Well, well they jumped at that because mm. it was you know another $25. And that's the motor that I brought home. And that was a truck motor. And, of course, the blocks, and they were stroked. The, them 2 and a half ton trucks had a wicked stroke in them. And you could blower them almost 200,000s. So I built
0: that motor, and that was strong.
2: Yeah, those had like a four and a quarter inch stroke motor in them. Yeah, mm. so they could be bored. Yeah,
0: you guys have already talked over my head about motors and everything all you know all afternoon, and I'm, and it's it's great. What made you such a car guy? Because you know, at your age of 85, it just doesn't seem like you've lost a tick on the specifics of what it's needed to go fast.
1: When I was probably eight, nine, ten years old, I used to go to Woolworth store and Fisherman's store, because they're unheard of now. But they used to have little plastic coops and I used to carve them. With a knife, I'd carve the fenders, make street, and make stock cars out of them, paint them up like stock cars, and that's how I get started.
0: So, like most kids would do with matchbox cars, right. you yeah. would do yeah, with exactly. these type of race yeah, cars. Yeah, I made my exactly. own. Yeah, yeah. And, and what year? So let's see if we can do the math. Like, what year are we talking about when you're eight, nine, ten years old? What year were you born? I was born nineteen thirty six. So we're talking nineteen forty six, fresh off the Second World War, right when stock car racing's really starting to kick. Yeah, and that I think runs parallel to your, you know, your interest in race cars. Yeah. Um, but you know, hey, race cars even back then took money. Yeah. Um, oh. You know, how did you get the money to race?
1: Work. Yeah. Work. My father drove a stock car. He wasn't. He never lived with us. Uh, he left us when I was five, and he, he raced stock cars. Not very good at it. He right. raked it. he wrecked everything on the track.
0: Well, in the '40s, where yeah. would he have raced? Yeah. Well, Bangor. Bangor. Yeah. yeah.
2: Unity Oakland.
0: In 48. Unity opened
2: in '48. Uh, there was Waterville, Oakland. I think there was Brewer, Belfast. Yeah. They used to go down to the uh, Windsor Fairgrounds. Right. All the fairgrounds there. had it.
0: You yeah, Lewiston. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah, so he's racing, he's not very good at it, but you're, you're, you're drawn in. You're like, I want to do that. Yeah. So you develop this passion, you have an amazing, where did you get your work ethic from?
1: If you had seven kids by the time you were, <laughs> by the time you were 22, right. and you only went to the fifth grade in school, how do you think you're going to feed them kids?
0: Well, you know, you can say that, and then, then that's, that's, that's a great answer. Knowing you a little bit this afternoon. I've learned a little bit more of your backstory and before you had the seven kids at 22 yeah. uh, you had an incredible work ethic because you, you were what was your first job first job was
1: at, at a bakery I had to go in at three o'clock in the morning and make donuts and I went in I was 14 and you went to school afterwards. I didn't go to school. So you stopped going to school Why? 14 14 years old. Well, I'd go sometimes, but right. I, I could get away with most because back then they didn't chase you. If you didn't go to school, The heck with it. No yeah.
2: truant officer?
1: No. 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 Not a,
2: a lot of. I think a lot of young kids. We all work. had to work. I mean, yeah, young I, kids had to work to help this, support this the family. This town,
1: people worked in the mills yeah. when they were 15. hmm Yeah. So.
0: so you went to work. Um, what were your days like if you weren't in school? Well, I worked till probably 10 o'clock in the morning. I'd go
1: in three work till 10. Mm-hmm. I guess I just hung around I really don't remember to tell you the truth yeah. and you're I,
0: fascinated with with cars where does automotive come into the picture oh uh, my girlfriend will tell you that many
1: times she says to me she says can't you find a hobby besides cars?" I get up in the morning I go to work I sell cars. I work on cars. I come home I
0: work on cars. present day present day. But when you were 15 years old, because you, you, we mentioned you were 14 and you were working in the bakery, at some yeah. point, uh, you get into your own vocation, your own line, your own lane when it comes to, to motor vehicles. Yeah. Well, I saw
1: there was a way to make money. Uh, back then, you could buy a decent car for $50. I'd paint them all black with a paintbrush, and I'd paint wide white walls on them and I'd get $100 from him. So that was a $50 profit for one day's work. That was big money.
2: Did you work for your Uncle Joe for a while? No, I, I towed cash for him. Okay. Yeah, but I did not work for him. Okay, I thought you, I knew you had some kind of a, yeah, no. a connection with him. Yeah. Where were you working when the lift came down on you and crushed you? I was working,
1: I was working for myself, but I was working in Joe's garage, Okay, 1957.
2: Came down and folded him up like a sandwich. Yeah. Book. It's amazing he's standing here right now. Thirty two stitches.
1: They, it took them four hours to get me from underneath the car. The lift fell on me, my head between my legs, and they had to find somebody with a boom truck because they couldn't it was a low door and they couldn't get the couldn't get the car up and they had to get it up even, so they had to get a boom truck and lift it straight
0: up. So when that happens you're twenty you say it was fifty seven?
1: Yeah, 1950s. So
0: you were 21 years old. Now think of most modern-day 21-year-olds where they are in life. Where were you at 21 years of age? <sighs> six <we> kids. <laughs> uh, six kids. Yeah, working, working for diff- building motors for different people. So you obviously had uh, you had a lot of responsibility at 21. Yeah, I worked with a full body cast building
1: motors back then. I had to wear the body cast for a year. Because if you
0: weren't working, you weren't getting paid. My kids weren't eating. Right. And um, when did this garage of yours, not this one that we're sitting in here, but when did your business start to take off? When did you start that? Oh, God.
1: I believe probably 59. I started in in Fairfield, which is a small town with probably about 5,000 people, and I rented the train station because they did away with the train station and I rented that for fifty dollars a month and uh, there was no garage you had to work outside and back then I was selling thirty seven thirty eight forty forty one cars that those years and that 's what started it all now then i then I went to
2: the Jenny station so where you were by the Underpass, yeah. Where the old Ford Coupe race car set out. Front. Yeah, yeah. There was no garage there.
0: No, I had to build a Is garage. Is that where
2: you ended up using the cardboard garages? Yeah. Okay,
0: yeah. and then on
2: Walnut Street.
0: That's what I wanted to hit on here. Yeah. I, and I just learned that uh, Lomer Pelletier, eighty-five years of age, still winning races, uh, Hall of Famer with humble beginnings. So humble that you were work. You wanted it so bad that you were working. On cardboard outside in Maine can you in tell us winter. about that in the in winter wintertime. yes yeah,
1: yeah they, they didn't have a garage didn't have any money for it and you had to I was rebuilding six-cylinder Chevrolet motors for $100 I was making $50 by doing them mm-hmm. and I was doing one a day because those were like 12 14 hour days and when it's got so it snowed so bad I went to a shop next to, where they sold refrigerators and appliances and I took all their cardboard boxes and I taped them, and I made a garage out of cardboard box so I could work under the under them. <laughs> wow!
2: One of the next—I know you said you went to the Jenny station, but I remember you working in a garage across from Lori's house. Yeah, going in there. And every time I was in, walked in there as a teenager, you were lapping valves by hand and the walls had such big cracks in them back then it was still wintertime. you could oh, throw yeah. a cat through the walls yeah so but i no, guess that was a step up from the cardboard box. yeah that
1: was yeah yeah i rented the house across the road where where i, where I eventually bought the house across the road but now it was a one car garage and they and when they had built it they built it out of boards and like pete says you could see through the walls because you didn't have any heat because there's no no pipes and on you know the no, wood pipes or anything. Nobody had heat in their no, garages back and, then. Yeah, and I used to have a baby scale. So when I built my motors and an anvil, I still have the anvil today, it's outside. I still have my anvil, I used to shot peen my rods, and I'd weigh them all on a baby scale. And with my pistons, I did the same thing. i take the pistons, I'd weigh them all and, and make them all weigh the same. I was building 301 Chevy Motors, which was popular back then. Mm. And I was building those as many as I could, making good money on them. But that's how I built them.
0: Yeah. And then eventually you had a real dwelling, right? You were able to build a real uh, garage out yeah. of that, or you rented the train station. Yeah, yeah. And after the train
1: station, I, I got lucky. Uh, I met in the Portland Press newspaper they built a new Jenny Station on College Avenue in town, and the fellow was supposed to take it over. Got sick, and he couldn't take it over. So they had in the Portland paper, if anybody had some want to take take over the Jenny Station and come up with like five thousand hmm. dollars, they could take it over. And then that's where you came in. That's where I came in there. How did you get the yeah. money? That's the story I'm tell you. Okay. Well, anyhow, the fellow's name was Robert Jenny Jenny Oil and I called him on the phone, and I told him that I'd like to take the station over, and I would like to sell used cars there and sell his products. And I said, I've got seven kids, and I said, I don't have the $5,000, but I can give you credit references of the business I've done with in town. So he uh, said he had several people interested in it, and uh, that he'd get back to me. Well, one day he calls me up and he says, can we make a meeting? I says, yeah. So he hit my house that I was renting. He hit that house at 5.30. And when he knocked on the door, there was nine of us at the table eating. And he came in. Now this is a wealthy man. This is Jenny Corporation. Mm -hmm. And I asked him if he wanted to eat with us. And he says, sure. This man was 6'6". Probably weighed 275, all muscle. That's a big man. Yeah, and we sat down, he ate with us, made room for him. And after supper, we went in my little living room. We sat down, we talked about it, and I tore him right out. I says, I can make it go. I says, I can make it go. And he says, you know what? He said, I'm going to take a chance on you. He gave me that brand-new station, and I made him money, didn't I Peter?
2: You did, and I and I believe that, I mean you, you always did something anyways and made it work, but I think your time at the Jenny station really launched Pelletier Auto Sales. Yes it did. Yeah, I, I thought, you know, you, it just didn't end. Com- yeah. it just never stops. Fifty-five, fifty-seven Chevrolets. Oh yeah, with mm-hmm. a specialty there, but yeah.
0: never stop painting cars and selling cars. Yeah, so, we painting, painting two cars a day. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to connect the dots here. So, in the Portland Press Herald, they they made the announcement. This wasn't for a Portland business. This was for up here,
2: College
1: Avenue, Waterville, Maine. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It got so then I said, "Well, I could see the picture on the wall. I was there till 1967." But I bought my place on Kennedy Drive in 66, but I couldn't move into it till 67 because the the fellow I bought it from was building a new Chevy dealership, and he needed needed the money, so we made an agreement. He can have the building till 67, but he would leave everything in it. Everything that was in that building, he left in it. And uh, in 66, I was running the Jenny station and looking forward to coming to Kennedy Drive because back in 66 is when they built the interstate on the other end of town. So that was killing College Avenue because 201 was the main route from Canada, Bangor, whatever. You had to come down that road. So I saw in the future where I
0: should be on the other end of town. And it
1: was a good move.
0: Can you, um, I'm fascinated by all, obviously I do this podcast, so I'm fascinated by history. Can you tell me what it was like, the anticipation, because we're speaking of the main Turnpike, Interstate 95, coming north of Augusta, that was as high as it was? Yeah. So what was the scuttlebutt uh, around town that, hey, there's this new highway coming through?
1: Well... It was Portland was the only interstate. Portland to, to Massachusetts back then, mm. and what they did is all the counties had to come up with money uh, money to build. So they built it in stages. In other words, they like they built uh, from Portland, let's say uh, Augusta. They built that part. Then they built Augusta to Waterville. Then a, Waterville to Bangor. They built it in stages, so we could see it coming. That if the interstate comes through from Bangor, they're no longer going to use Kennedy Drive, where my business was. College Avenue. College Avenue, yeah. But right. we, they, they were no, no longer going to use that. Because you they were, were right gonna on bypass
0: town. Right. So you were in the center of town on was it Route Two Hundred One? Yeah. Okay. Basically, the only four lane in town. Yeah. Right through there. Yeah, it was the only four lane in town. Yeah. 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 So you get the you get the the business on the other side of town, and, and it benefits you greatly.
2: When he went there, I mean it. It was just a two-lane road. Two-lane
0: road, yeah. I mean, it hadn't developed yet. Yeah. And How much re- of a gamble was that? How much did you say, all right, well, this is going to pay off in X amount well, of years? I
1: paid $10,000 for the place, and it was only valued at 3000 I wanted it so bad I paid 10000 for it. And my uncle, which is a businessman, told me I was foolish to spend that kind of money. What business was he in? He was in the car business. Yeah, he was in the car business. He had uh, Toyota dealership.
2: He brought Toyota to the
1: area. He brought Toyota yeah. to the area, yeah. He was in used car business till Toyota hit Maine. Hmm. But anyhow, it was an immediate success. I mean immediate. How how long did it take you to make your money back? Oh, God. I made it back <laughs> six months probably. Yeah. Wow.
2: That, that place yeah. just was
1: good from the beginning. Oh, it was it, just it, it was unbelievable. It was the main road. From uh, Winslow, Belgrade, uh, all the towns outside of town, west and east, mm. had to take that road.
3: But it was full service, it wasn't only a used car dealership, it was
1: body work. Yeah, I did everything, body work, yeah, yeah. motor service. swaps, anything mechanical we did, yeah, and body work, yeah.
2: And not long after, if you wanted to get to the end stage, you had to go buy pelletier auto sales.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: in fact, they built a bank next door to me. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's yeah. amazing.
0: So, yeah. um, you know, just to recap here a little bit on things we've talked about, your highest level of education is the fifth grade. Have, did you take anything afterwards? Any, I read books. You just read books, and you're fascinated. If you by go to my house
1: right now and go beside my chair, hmm. you'll see at least 20 books. And
0: you certainly. Have no problem with 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 putting it out there. You know, you you gambled a number of times in your life. Oh, yeah. Which you know buy, builds or ties right in with the racing thing. Well where did you get the the feeling of believing in yourself like you did? I don't know. My mother.
1: Really? Mother believed. She was a strong you. woman. She had four kids, worked in a mill. Yeah. Brought us up from when the time I was five years old. So, and did you consult anybody before making this this no. purchase? No. Everybody told me I wasn't, I'd never mount to nothing.
0: Mm. We have Lori, is Lori? Yes. Um, actually, you can give Lori the mic for a second. So Lori, do you remember, just just a little bit. Lori, do you remember uh, when, when this whole thing went down? Like when your dad got that new dealership, Pelletier Auto Sales?
3: I remember when he got the dealership, yes. I was very, very young, but I do
0: remember. Do you remember the reaction in the household? No. No? No. (laughs) I think I was too young. What were your, uh, what are your memories of your father at this time? Uh, Because obviously he seems really busy building his business and, you know, he has a lot of kids, you have a lot of siblings. My take
3: on my father is he's such a caring, compassionate man. If you know him well, you know this. He would give you the shirt off his back if you needed it. Um, He didn't only support his seven children, he supported many other people. So when people were traveling from point A to get to point B, back in those days, and their car broke down, and they'd stop somewhere to ask for help, they were sent to Pelletier Auto Sales. Um, My father would fix their vehicle, whether they had the money or not. Some men just couldn't do a deal on that, you know, have something done and not pay for it, so, simply um a set of pots and pans in their car would do you know an item in your car would do for the payment but as long as he could fix your car and get you and your family on your way where you needed to go he was gonna do it
0: Lomer Lomer where did that come from inside of you my mother really my mother she was a strong
1: woman she she took care of everybody. Oh, she would take care of her sisters, which didn't have nothing, and she didn't have nothing. She was
0: the mother. That's a humble man. Hey, I, I told you you were gonna like this story. And that's just stage number one. And stage number two, Lummer has a challenge to anyone who dares get in the instigator or the instigator too. I used to put a $100 bill
1: on the dash of my car and I'd give people rides. And I drove a four-speed car, by the way. And I'd give people the opportunity. If they could get the $100 bill before I got in high gear, they could keep it. Mm -hmm. I never lost $100. Right, Pete?
0: (laughs) That's next time out on Open Trailer Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Austin. Talk to you next time.